Hey, it's Bobby Sylvester, and we have a player showdown and training camp battles episode coming up to you with JJ Zachariasen. But first, I want to remind you all about the sweepstakes we have going on thanks to one of our sponsors, pristineauction.com. We're giving away a signed Antonio Brown jersey for free, and all you have to do to enter the giveaway and be entered into all future giveaways for the year is subscribe and review us on iTunes, then send us a screenshot to contest at fantasypros.com. The giveaway is going to end this Sunday, so make sure to get them in before then. If you haven't already, please check out pristineauction.com and do yourself a favor to see what they have for you. There's all kinds of signed helmets, jerseys, and other memorabilia. I even saw a Bel Air basketball jersey signed by the Fresh Prince himself the other day. They auction off hundreds of items every day, and the website is easy to use. Please let them know that we sent you when you check out so that we can keep doing these giveaways for you. All right, let's talk some fantasy football. Bros football podcast with Bobby Sylvester and Mike Tagliere. Tags, joining us from vacation. What a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what a guy. No, I actually kicked out everybody, my entire family out of this lake house. We're up in <laughs> Michigan. Uh, so I'm sitting here on my little laptop. I got my portable mic. I'm all ready. I wouldn't miss a, a podcast that we're going to be doing with today's guest, JJ Zacharyson. He's a uh, he's one of my favorites in the industry. He's a smart dude. And we're going to use him to settle a few of our debates, right? That's right. Um, so JJ is also editor-in-chief of NumberFire.com. And for those of you who don't know, he authored The Late Round Quarterback. I consider him the great gift master of fantasy football experts. Hey, JJ, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what do you do now that Jeff Fisher's fired? Like, I, I know you love to spread his <laughs> uh, his gifts, but do you have like a new favorite? I, I don't. There's been something missing in my heart. I'm just hoping that Jeff Fisher can get a gig at some point just so that I can start sending those out again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I've uh, I've been pumped about Kenneth Dixon's value all preseason. We woke up this morning to discover he has a torn meniscus. It's going to require surgery. JJ, just how far down your draft board does this drop him now? I mean, to me personally, I wasn't very high on Dixon in terms of drafting him in the first place, just because you were going to have to hold on to that bench asset for four weeks. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I treat my bench similar to how I would look at inventory at a company where there is a cost in holding on to that player who's not doing much. So this on top of that makes him pretty close to not very draftable for me, unless Agreed. you're in a, a deeper league in general. I think that maybe it bumps Terrence West up a bit, but you know, generally speaking, I'm not putting that much stock into this and maybe he does turn around and he comes back. You know, it's almost fortunate that he does have that suspension given this injury uh, just because he'll, he'll have a little bit more time to heal. I mean, we weren't really even sure he was going to be the starter when he came back, right, Tags? I, I think he was going to be the starter. I still think it was going to be more of a timeshare than people thought. I think Dixon okay. is a superior running back to Terrence West. But I think what I take away most from this is not only the fact that I'm going to f- fade kind of Dixon a bit more than I necessarily was because he was falling JJ into the range where it's like RB 45 range where yeah. it was just like, that's where the, that's where like, if he's going around Doug Martin's area, that's where I'm a little more skittish. I think I agree with you a hundred percent. I've talked about it is that if you start out a team is one and three, Oh, and four, it's going to force you to do things with your team that you wouldn't necessarily do. Right. Had you drafted, you know, someone not Doug Martin or Kenneth Dixon. So in the end, what I think this does, I think it further helps my, one of my favorite players late in the draft. And that's Jeremy Macklin. You know, we've talked about the fact that this team lacks a red zone option. Kenneth Dixon was arguably the biggest threat to touchdown 
touchdowns there for Macklin. And, you know, I brought it up on the last show, Bobby, is that Macklin, if you go over the last two years he played before 2016, there were only a couple players who had scored more touchdowns. So, you know, just just because he's been with Alex Smith, people are tending to forget about Jeremy Macklin and the fact that he, he can score touchdowns. So, if anything, I think this helps Jeremy Macklin, and, and it does obviously boost up Terrence West a little bit. You know who this gets me excited for? And, uh, Tags, you're going to hate this, but it's Joe Williams. And it's Joe Williams uh, because, uh, you know, there was a report that Greg Rosenthal said that Carlos Hyde might end up being cut. If the Ravens were planning on using Dixon as their starting running back, why not go out there and get a Carlos Hyde? If he's cut, pick him up, maybe trade for him. Uh, Ryan Matthews could be an option too, but I think Carlos Hyde's probably the best guy that's going to be available to them. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to this rumor. JJ, I'm not sure what your take is on Hyde. Um, I haven't been buying all this Hyde stuff all offseason. I, I, you know, to talk about even Vance McDonald to a certain extent, Torrey Smith, they got rid of Torrey, they let Torrey Smith go. And so we're talking about the three players that were the most efficient for them last year. Now, Torrey Smith hasn't been the same player since he went to San Francisco, but at the same time, look at the team that's been around him. Look who's been throwing him the football. So, I mean, JJ, where are you at on Carlos Hyde? Like, please tell me that I'm not crazy in the fact that he's not a cut candidate at all. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd I'd be shocked if he were cut. I I think that this is just a typical news cycle item that happens when we see these new regimes go into these teams where there's Mm -hmm. not established players or or an established offense or an established anything, which is what we have in San Francisco. So to me, Carlos Hyde is by far the best talent at running back that they have there. I'm not even, you know, insanely high on him as a player or anything, but I think that it would be kind of... I think it's very, very narrative driven because you can associate each of those running backs and I've seen people doing it. And I think that it's somewhat valid. You know, you have Joe Williams as the Shanahan guy because they traded up for him and you have you have Tim Hightower who has ties and and, and you, you can you can play that game. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I just don't see this going down. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. I mean, I, I love Carlos Hyde. I don't know what Kyle Shanahan's going to do with him. Tags, you've you've talked me into uh, keeping him up on my draft board a little mm-hmm. bit. I just wonder if someone's going to go out and make a trade for him if there is any legitimacy to it. I mean, John Lynch is kind of a wild card. Who knows if he's going to employ yeah. the Philadelphia 76ers strategy where he just completely tanks so he can go get Josh Rosen or one of these other quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, cutting Carlos Hyde would help accomplish that. I don't know if that changes anything for me either, though, because like you think about it and this this offense, you can't just go out and you're basically not going to sell tickets if you get rid of all your talent. So you have to keep someone on the field that the fans want to see. And Carlos Hyde is arguably the, the player that I'd want to see in this offense. So, you know, looking at what he did last year on a bad team, he was the number nine fantasy running back in terms of fantasy points per game. There was not a running back in front of him who was outside a top 14 scoring offense in the NFL. So when you look at what Carlos Hyde did last year, it was it was very impressive. Now, was he the most consistent running back in all of fantasy? No, he wasn't. That's what happens when you're on a bad football team. So I've told people, even if Hyde does get cut, don't give up hope on him because wherever he goes, he's going to be behind a better offensive line because the only team that's got a worse offensive line than San Francisco, in my opinion, is the Seattle Seahawks, and they're not going to sign Carlos Hyde. Uh, and, you know, he's going to go to a better overall team. So Carlos Hyde, the situation cannot get any worse for him. And the fact that he's been able to do what he's been able to do while in, in San Francisco, go is something so I just you know people have overlooked that Kyle Shanahan talked about it Kyle Shanahan said that we tend to overvalue scheme I think a good running back is a good running back regardless of scheme and Carlos was a great college running back and I think he's great in the pros so you know I'm reading what Kyle Shanahan has actually said and not you know the beat writers or whatever and I like I said there's Joe Williams is not on the talent level of Carlos Hyde you know who was a really great college running back Zach Zenner 
<laughs> so, guys, we heard that uh, Andrew Luck might end up missing the entire preseason and somehow be ready for, for week one. Is this going to be one of those deals where he's hurt like the whole year and people keep starting him and then he doesn't play? That was horrible for me that one year. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a lingering issue, but I also think that there is risk associated in drafting Andrew Luck because this is somewhat of an issue. Usually I can overlook this kind of stuff when it comes to a running back or a wide receiver, if it's not any, or if, if, if doctors don't seem concerned or overly concerned, yeah. but the fact that we're talking about a quarterback in fantasy football here, uh, a position that we know is replaceable is a, a, a position where we know that you don't need to go out and grab one early necessarily to still have a, a decent production out of that slot in your lineup. I just don't see why you would go out and seek Andrew Luck given the situation. And what's kind of strange too, is that since early May, his ADP really hasn't changed. It's kind of stayed the same despite the fact that that things keep getting a little bit worse uh with regards to this injury so to me I just you know I, I think it's just one of those things that if you were thinking about drafting Andrew Luck maybe don't do it only because of the positional scarcity aspect of things not just because of what it could do to his performance yeah I'm not really worried too much about Luck you know we saw him last year play through this injury and I know he had surgery on it that changes a little bit but the fact that he finished as the number four fantasy quarterback Despite playing through this injury, you know, they added Kamar Aiken. Frank Gore is not getting any better. Marlon Mack's not an in-between-the-tackles runner. You know, we heard that he's throwing, and I, I know a lot of people were concerned about that. They're like, what if we don't hear that? He, what if we hear that he's not throwing? You know, is this a concern heading into training camp? We found out that he is throwing, similar to Cam Newton. So I'm not concerned until the Colts are concerned about it, and it, it appears right now that they're really not. With that being said, uh, JJ's, you know, what he's known for is the late-round quarterback approach. So I'm, I'm with him in terms of late-round this year. We know we've talked about Tyrod Taylor on this show. We've talked about Andy Dalton. You know, there's guys down the draft board that you can get for a lot cheaper than Andrew Luck. So yeah, do I want a discount on him? Of course. But if he falls into that, I'd say that sixth or seventh round, I think I'm I'm comfortable pulling the trigger on Luck at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he's healthy, the VBD there is substantially higher than those guys. But I, I say if you're not taking a top three quarterback, and, and really the price on them is a little absurd, so they would have to fall in the draft for me to take one of them. Why not wait for a Philip Rivers? Why not wait for a Tyrod Taylor? And I know JJ's on board with that. Is there how late would one of these guys have to drop for you to take them, JJ? I mean, you know, generally speaking, if I'm going to to take an earlier round guy, I, like you said, I would rather just go for one of the elite guys and hope that maybe one of them drops a round or so out of their, you know, past their ADP. A guy like Luck, I don't think Tags is wrong with that evaluation with like a seventh round value if he if he does drop there. I think that seems reasonable. It's more so that if his ADP does stay stagnant. And if this injury does not change his ADP, I just don't understand the risk in taking him just because, yeah. you know, it's on top of the fact that he is playing one of those onesie positions. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, Andrew Luck at the seventh would not be bad, but right after Andrew Luck, there's just such a big drop off. I, I wouldn't rather have Russell Wilson than Tyrod Taylor. It's that close to me. And I know tags is on board. So why not just wait? Like, why would you dare draft someone in the seventh round when you can wait? And there's going to be someone there in the 14th round. That's just as good. Preach, preach. All right. So we're going to do a segment today that I'm pretty excited about. Actually, I'm really nervous about because I could end up being wrong here. It's called the player showdown. Our, uh, our content manager came up with this one. And basically we wanted to have one of the big names from the expert and JJ, you fit the bill split the ties on our big debates from the podcast. So we're going to go one player at a time that Tags and I have disagreed about. And JJ, you get to split the tie here. So <laughs> the first one, Keenan Allen, I saw you writing about him on Twitter. So I have an idea of what you're going to say here. Are you higher on his ADP or lower on his ADP? 
I mean, I think overall, yeah, I, I was tweeting about it a little bit earlier today. I think overall I'm probably lower than where most people are at with Keenan Allen. I'm not very high on Mike Williams. Uh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know, I, so the, the news surrounding Mike Williams didn't necessarily change the way that I'm viewing Keenan Allen as a whole a whole lot. Uh, though, as we know, anytime that someone does go down, all those targets will then be dispersed a bit uh, so that you know, it doesn't hurt Keenan Allen by any means. But with that being said, I do think that we should be a little bit wary that Keenan Allen may be a slightly volume-dependent dude. He might be a slightly volume-dependent wide receiver. He was relevant two years ago in fantasy football largely because he was pacing towards 180 targets before getting hurt. Uh, and his air yards profile is what I'm really interested in. Uh, since his rookie season, it's gotten worse Uh, His rookie season is where he peaked from an air yards versus a yards after catch standpoint. Uh, His air yards per catch has dropped each season while his uh, or or has dropped since his rookie season, while his yards after catch have also dropped since his rookie season. You obviously don't want to see that. You want guys, if they're going to have a lower air yards profile, to have a better yards after catch profile because they're catching the ball closer to the line of scrimmage. So basically what it what what it boils down to with Keenan Allen is You know, I I do think that talent does often get more opportunity uh, in general in football and then obviously in turn in fantasy football. But I also think that a a realistic expectation for a Keenan Allen type, given the role that he's played in that offense, because I don't think that the air yards versus the yak stuff is necessarily talent related. I think that also has to do with personnel and how they use Keenan Mm -hmm. Allen. And and if you look... And he was extremely young back then. Right, right. And if you look at what their personnel dictates right now, they still need Keenan Allen to be that underneath guy in that offense, the way that their personnel looks. Uh, so from my perspective, I still think that he's going to be a lower A dot kind of player. Uh, and, and if that's the case, then he does need a lot of volume to sort of combat that. And I yeah. don't know if he's going to get that volume, especially the way that he did two years ago when not only was Philip Rivers throwing the ball a whole lot, uh, but Keenan Allen, as a, in, in turn, was seeing a decent market share and then seeing a lot of volume too. And that's really why he was so relevant in fantasy football. All right, tags pile on, man. <laughs> no, JJ is 100% correct. You know, people talk about the volume thing. And, you know, it's it's fair when you say, of course, when a player gets more targets, they're going to be more productive. I get that. But at the same time, Keenan Allen is like legitimately night and day. So, JJ, in a term of sample size, I think 10 targets is a pretty high number to get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nine, 10 targets. Okay, so Keenan Allen in games where he has seen 10 targets or less, he averages just 3.9 receptions per game, 48.9 yards. In games where he has seen 11 or more targets 117 yards per game 10.4 receptions so you see it's been very very boomer bust with him over the years and you know JJ mentioned it a lot of people want to base his his high target number off that 2015 season what most people don't realize is that Philip Rivers when Keenan Allen got hurt that year Philip Rivers was on pace to throw the ball 702 times Philip Rivers outside of that season has never thrown the ball more than 582 times you know we look at last year Melvin Gordon went he went down they threw a little bit more over the final three games you know the personnel is there for them to throw the ball but my issue is with all the talent they have there on offense now how many times can we we actually project Keenan Allen to get that 11 targets per game it's just impossible to do and on top of that you know we're looking at a schedule that he's going to play the Broncos twice the Chiefs twice the Giants the Patriots the Jaguars the Redskins so it's like Keenan Allen sucks he is the alpha dog on that team and he is going to see the top tier cornerback so for me I mean I think Keenan Allen will be somewhat consistent as a low-end wide receiver too with that being said there's no way I'm going to get him in a draft at that wide receiver 22 range 
Yeah, the other thing to note there, too, with the competition is that when he was seeing all that volume, he was competing with guys like Vincent Brown and Eddie yes, Royal. Yes. And now, now you're looking at Tyrell Williams, who was a monster last season. You have, you have Hunter Henry, who's coming up. You still have Antonio Gates there, for what that's worth. You have a deeper wide receiver depth chart than he's really ever seen, even though it's still not necessarily uh, you know, an elite one. So I think that just plays in the fact that his market share might not even be as high as we might think. Amen. Now here, guys, this is, this is my thought on Keenan Allen, Okay, he was averaging 12 targets per game. You talk about that magic 10 number. 12 targets is a ton. Even if he goes backwards, I mean, 9, 10 targets per game, that is a lot. And we're not talking about someone who needs all 190 targets. If he was at that pace, we're talking about a top 12 overall player. I'm talking about him at 40, 45 overall in the draft. If he takes a major step backwards, he could still achieve his draft value. That's a major step backwards. So we'll see. I mean, he was so young when he put up those numbers. Um, even if he takes a major step backwards, I'm, I'm still loving his value. Yeah, I think Tyrell Williams is a much better value in drafts right now. Agreed. I like him too. I like everybody in the Chargers. Let's talk about someone else for the Chargers here. Hunter Henry is another guy we've had a big debate on. JJ, where do you stand on him? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, when, when the offseason first started, I didn't think that I would be into Hunter Henry just because I thought that his ADP would be pretty inflated. But I don't think Antonio Gates is going to be very relevant this year. You do have Keenan Allen and others that I've just mentioned that are competing for targets. So I do have some questions in general about Hunter Henry's potential volume. But I do like Henry because of how they utilized their tight ends in the red zone last year. He was a freak in that area of the field last season. He had over 32% of his, sorry, over 32% of his targets came in the red zone, which was the most, which was the most among relevant tight ends. And second place within that statistic was Antonio Gates, who had 23.66% of his targets from the red zone. So the two of them combined for 39 red zone targets and 13 from within the 10. Uh, So if Gates truly isn't part of the game plan or as much of the game plan, which I don't think he will be just given... Uh, he's a, a dad, uh, despite obvious, <laughs> d- despite despite obvious regression coming from Hunter Henry. We know that he's not going to be able to sustain the type of touchdown production that he did last season. But despite all of that, it, it almost doesn't matter if Antonio Gates uh, isn't as big of a part in that offense because he should combat that a little bit with volume and, and red zone work. Um, you know, I do think that Keenan Allen coming back might hurt him a bit uh, in the red zone just because it's another body there and Keenan Allen is a talented receiver. You know, but I, I think that th- this comes down to the fact that uh, it depends on where you're comfortable taking a player, again, at a onesie position or a position where you're only starting one of those players like tight end or like quarterback. I'm usually one to wait until the double-digit rounds, but I do think that there's a case to be made that Hunter Henry's one of those guys where people scream regression because of what he did in the red zone and how, how many touchdowns he was able to score uh, because regression is coming. But at the same time, there are reasons why he can still fight against that regression. Efficiency regression's coming, but he only had 53 targets. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, if, if Antonio Gates does step out of the way, if he gets hurt or if they just start giving the ball Hunter Henry a, a lot more, he could see twice as many targets, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he should see more volume. There's no doubt. Uh, I think I have him at, at 85 to 90 targets or something like that at this point. Um, he, he, you know, it, it really comes down to, again, I, I think it's just going to be the red zone. Um, I, I, I do think that and I think that it comes down to them also utilizing Antonio Gates a lot in the red zone, which even if Antonio Gates disappears in some way between the 20s, they still might use him. In a, and I'm, I'm sure that they will use him in a lot of two tight end sets uh, in, in the red zone. So while uh, Hunter Henry might not, uh, do what he did last year, or, or while Hunter Henry, we, I might feel fairly optimistic about what he might be able to do in the red zone. You know, Antonio Gates might still be there. And I think that's what it's just going to come yeah. down to is how many touchdowns he's able to score. 
Hey, by the way, JJ, your uh, dad runner scale might be the best thing that you do. You guys can find it on his Twitter. If for whatever reason you don't follow JJ on Twitter, it's at late round QB. And you can find tags at Mike Tagliere NFL and I'm at Bobby Fantasy Pro. All right, tags. Last word on Hunter Henry. Well, Hunter Henry. So here's the stat I have for you, Bobby. And this is one I don't know if I brought up on the show before is that 23% of his targets came in the two games that Gates was out last year. He saw 12 targets in the two games that Gates was out. Uh, even better than that, 28% percent of his yardage came in those two games so if Antonio Gates I'm willing to bump Hunter Henry up to a top five tight end like I'm locking him in your lineup every single week but do I think that Antonio Gates just fades away into nothingness no I, I, I'm definitely projecting Hunter Henry to finish higher than him I think that their roles almost reversed this year where Hunter Henry could be up towards 75 80 targets whereas Gates is closer to that 60 range so they're still going to be splitting shares. I I think that Hunter Henry has fallen down draft boards enough to the point where I'm okay taking him as the 11th tight end off the board. But here's my question to you, JJ, is that I've been saying that I would take Jack Doyle over someone like Hunter Henry because I think he's going to be a little bit more consistent out of that, you know, that volatile tight end position. So I think that the range Hunter Henry's fallen into, I think, Bobby, you have a ground to stand on. But when we, I think we started this debate, I think Hunter, Hunter Henry was being taken as the number seven or number eight tight end off the board. And that was just too high for my liking. <laughs> yeah, it was for it is looking back for me too. I uh, I put my foot in my mouth there a little bit, but um, I, I love him. I, I can totally understand the Jack Doyle thing. I do think that there would be more consistency in that in, inherently inconsistent position. But at the same time, I, I do think that this boils down to you know, like I was saying, and I think that you just alluded to it. Two tags is that if if Antonio Gates or if you think Antonio Gates is going to fall off or they're not going to use him as they have over the last decade then Hunter Henry is the pick. You know, he is the guy. But if you think that he's going to hang around, if he's going to be a guy that they're utilizing in the red zone still, then that's the downside with Hunter Henry. That's why he's yeah. more of that mid to low end tight end one. For sure. All right. Player number three here. It's actually two players. And I want to know which way you lean. Uh, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. I know they drafted Jamal Williams a lot earlier. Aaron Jones has a, a freak athletic profile. Do you think this is definitely Jamal Williams' job if uh, Ty Montgomery is indeed not a three down running back? I don't. Uh, you know, you look yes. at you, yes. you look at the equity that they spent uh, on the guys. I mean, you're looking at the fourth and fifth, and then obviously they spent the seventh round pick as well on a running back. Uh, you know, they didn't have a depth chart going into the draft. It was really just time on, and they needed that depth. With that being said. You know, my model likes Aaron Jones more than Jamal Williams. I think it's pretty obvious why someone who's analytical would probably maybe skew towards Aaron Jones just because his production profile is so absurd. Obviously, smaller school and different situation. Um, but to me, a big reason that I like Aaron Jones more is just because he has that receiving ability that Jamal Williams didn't necessarily show out from, from a production standpoint in college. And that's something that I like to, to, to really, I gravitate towards a lot because there is a strong correlation, even if they're not pass catchers at the NFL level, they generally are at the college level. Um, and, and, you know, I do think also, you know, I, I will say that naturally it feels like Jamal Williams would fit into what they're doing with Ty Montgomery better. Uh, Jamal yeah. Williams just being the bigger bodied guy, Tymont being more of that versatile uh, three down potential three down back guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. But there's also beat writers out there that are already talking about how Aaron Jones could steal some of that uh uh, third down work because he is such a good pass catcher. And while Aaron Jones might not have the chops to block, uh, I think that that's something that's very overstated a lot of times when people talk about third down backs, because a lot of times they're not blocking on third down, they're going out and they're trying to catch passes. So um, overall, you know, as a prospect, I like Aaron Jones more than Jamal Williams, but I'm also insanely high on Ty Montgomery this year. And I think that both of those guys in, in Williams and Jones won't be very relevant in fantasy football. 
Yeah, that's the that's the tough part, right? Is like we can, college production. I tend to try and avoid that. I try and just actually watch the tape on these guys. And Aaron Jones, while he was impressive, Jamal Williams, I think compliments Ty Montgomery a little bit more than mm-hmm. Aaron Aaron Jones would. And I think that the beat writers are saying that. Is I think they're saying that if Ty Montgomery fails in his role, you know that Aaron Jones can fill that role that he kind of has, you know, over the last half of a year. And I, I think that, that there's some actionable things to be taken from this, right? Because I think if Ty Montgomery goes down, I think we talked about this with Evan Silva, is that if Ty Montgomery goes down, I don't think we're going to see either A, Aaron Jones take the load or Jamal Williams take the load. I think it's going to be a timeshare where it might be like a Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard type scenario where they're going to be splitting time. And to be fair, if if Jamal Williams can pass block and Ty Montgomery can't, it's it's going to be interesting to see what can happen on first and second down, right? Because I don't think Ty Montgomery is going to live up to the hype that people have placed on him over first and second down. But what I've read this entire offseason about the Packers is they've been cl- – clear and upfront about it, saying, Ty Montgomery, if you can pass block, you are going to be our three-down running back, and mm-hmm. that, that's basically all I'm paying attention to this offseason with them, whereas, like, we go into training camp, I want to find out what they're saying about his pass protection, if he's doing it, because if so, I'm willing to move Ty Montgomery into my top 15 running backs, and I'm not shy yeah. about that, but right. if, if he can't, I, I, I think it's somewhat of a timeshare, and Jamal Williams is the one I'd rather own, because I could see him getting more touches, you know, than Aaron Jones, who would occupy that third-down role, as we were talking about. You know, every single one of these running backs, I think, is undervalued right now. I think you could go into a draft and draft all three of them, their ADP, and just be thrilled with that. I'm not saying that you, you know, go and get each other's uh, handcuffs. I don't play that game. But, you know, with the value that they're at right now, their ADPs are terrific. Now, I want to ask you a question, JJ, okay? Every single year we see these guys, be it uh, CJ Anderson or Jordan Howard, Jay Ajayi, every single year they slip into the top 15 just by performing so well over the season. Is there any chance that over the next two years, Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones could be a top 15 overall player? I mean, they're certainly in the right offense for that to happen, yeah. right? You know, you know, I, I approach fantasy football from the perspective of, from a prospecting standpoint, I'm going to be wrong all the time. Uh, so I'm going to take that. And if I can find running backs or players in favorable situations, which is exactly what you have with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, then sure, yeah. there's, there's, there's a higher probability that they're going to become something. You know, it just so happens that I tend to favor Aaron Jones. Tags likes what he saw to Jamal Williams. But I think that... I love all, them both. That, yeah, right. And I, I think that all of our mindsets are still, of, you know, we're all on the same uh, page when it comes to the fact that I want to associate my running back with Aaron Rodgers, you yep. know, and, and that's, yeah. that's what I think this all comes down to. Yeah, that was the stat I was actually talking about in, re- in reference to Carlos Hyde and what he kind of overcame. So the top eight scoring running backs, JJ, last year in terms of fantasy scoring, they were all on top 14 scoring NFL mm-hmm. offenses. So therefore, you know, you mentioned it. You want a part of that Aaron Rodgers offense because they're always going to be top 10 scoring. So, right. and by, you know, like by by default, they're cons- they should have they should produce a top 12 running back. Yeah. Yeah. As a Jaguars fan, I was so upset when they drafted Leonard Fournette <laughs> because you have these guys, Joe Mixon, Jamal Williams, and Aaron Jones all sitting back there that I would have been thrilled for them to have just a step or two down from Leonard Fournette, if that. And the Packers got both of them. I'm uh, I'm super jealous. <laughs> You're going about to put JJ on a rant here talking about the yeah, number four I'm, overall. I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just keeping my mouth my mouth closed with the Leonard Fournette stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next player here is Brandon Marshall. JJ, let's hear it. Um, I think the worry for Marshall and, and the worry that I have for Marshall is the week to week volatility because he's probably going to be pretty touchdown dependent, you would think. And that's especially true given the Giants, uh, they, they love to throw three wide receiver sets out there, which in turn 
could disperse the volume in the, in the market share a little bit more than we generally see or want to see for a number two wideout. So with Sterling Shepard yeah. on the field, obviously, that just means that there might be, you know, if you just look at a depth chart or look at how the market share will break down, that number two and number three wide receiver might see closer market share than we would like. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, though, is that Brandon Marshall, I, I thought he was going to have a much higher ADP than he does after he uh, went to New York or went to the Giants. Um, but, I, but I think the, the bottom line with Marshall, and this is kind of a vanilla stupid answer that you guys are probably going to roll your eyes at, but it, it depends so much on your team construction in my mind you know I I like balance on my roster I like to balance guys who will be volatile week to week like a Des Bryant or like a what Brandon Marshall could be in the Giants not to Des's level of course but again that weekly volatility that stems from touchdowns I like to pair them with higher floor slot guys let's say like a Jamison Crowder or something like that Um, and so in turn I think it depends a lot uh, on your your team construction I think his ADP is fair where he's at right now though Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a stupid answer at all. I like it. No, he's fallen to the point where, you know, I'm okay with him there. I actually ended up with him in a few MFL 10s because he's going in that range of Eric Decker and guys right. like that. And I'm okay taking some Marshall there. My my argument against him, so, you know, JJ, you mentioned it, that the Giants have gone three wide, you know, under Ben McAdoo quite often. But here's the, the fact of the matter is the Jets over the last two years with Marshall, they targeted their wide receivers 69% of the time. He's going to nice. a Giants team. The Giants have only targeted their wide receivers under McAdoo 58% of the time. I went through JJ's a projections guy, just like me, where it's like you try and figure out where these targets are going. And this was before Evan Engram was even part of the plan, who is arguably another slot wide receiver. So it's like trying to work all this into a plan. And my concern with Marshall is that since 2013, there have only been three wide receivers who have finished with more than 140 targets, but finished outside the top 36 wide receivers. One was Andre Johnson. Another one was Vincent Jackson. And the third one was Brandon Marshall last year. So when you look at these and you're like, wait a minute, okay, they all have a lot of things in common here. They're all you know, that age 33 season is where everybody tends to fall off. There's an alpha dog. You know, when he went, when Andre Johnson was with Houston, DeAndre Hopkins was there. When he went to Indianapolis, you know, this is a similar situation. He went to a better quarterback with Andrew Luck, but then T.Y. Hilton was there. Dante Moncrief was there. Vincent Jackson went to an offense that had, that Mike Evans was there. So it's just like Brandon Marshall going in with Odell Beckham Jr., 33 years old. There's so many red flags about Brandon Marshall in the fact that two of the last three seasons he hasn't been good. I know we hang on to 2015, but at the same time, there are red flags on Brandon Marshall, but he has, like JJ said, he's fallen to the point now where it's it's okay to take him because he's worth the risk at that point because he's surrounded by other risky wide receivers. First round value in 2015, though, that is nothing to sneeze at. Just two years ago, he was a top 12 overall fantasy player. And, uh, you know, Brandon Marshall is different than those guys because he's touchdown dependent. And I'm fine with drafting a touchdown dependent guy who's done it his entire career. I think he continues to do it even with Odell Beckham in the offense. That's the odd part, though, about Marshall. He was considered not a touchdown guy. If you go back (laughs) to the the Dolphins and the Broncos day, he was never considered a touchdown guy. Everybody's like, why does Brandon Marshall suck in the red zone? And it was like a big debate. And now he's considered a touchdown guy, which is I think it's a little skewed. So, I mean, I'm not willing to bet on him in the red zone just yet, even though he's done well recently. Like, as he's aged, he's done better in the red zone. I think we could agree on that. But... I th- but it, but I, I, I've actually heard some a few people talking about that, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Marshall was always considered like a bad red zone player uh, earlier in his career. So I think, yeah, point. I think I think it's one of those things where like that's what you're holding on to if you're drafting Brandon Marshall, where you're drafting him. You know, yeah. you're, you're holding on to the fact that you need those touchdowns because he's not going to get the yak that he used to get. Uh, right. that, that's just not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to give that one to Tags, and that means we're through four players, and it is two to two. We are saving the two biggest for last, but first, a word from our sponsors, RT Sports. I really got into this best ball format uh, last year, and it's where you do a slow draft way in advance of the season, and right up to the season if you want to. You don't have to touch your roster for the remainder of the season. It just takes your best possible lineup for every week. I love best ball, and one of the sites that does it the best is rtsports.com. They have a lot of things besides best ball, but they do best ball extremely well, and I've been loving it. Uh, they're also legal operators in states where you can't play DFS. So you can join me at rtsports.com slash pros, and make sure to put the pros too. You can join me in playing some best ball this summer. All right, guys, JJ, the next person is Amari Cooper. Where are you on him? Woo, I think I know which side you guys are both on, but I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just going to spit, spit my takes here. So... <laughs> You know, generally speaking, when you get to the point where you want to draft Amari Cooper in a in a redraft league, there's a p- pretty clear drop in tiers at both running back and wide receiver, I'd say. So I think as a result, you know, you're looking at that tier where Amari's at and you're looking for that story to tell yourself to capture upside and get that particular player into an elite tier. So you're looking at Amari Cooper and you're saying, how can Amari Cooper get into an elite tier? And of all the guys in that range... You know, maybe you're looking at Dez or Doug Baldwin. I, I think you can tell that story of upside easiest with Amari Cooper. Um, you know, Dez has the potential for bad matchups this year. We've seen his weekly volatility, which I already mentioned, and his touchdown dependence. Doug Baldwin also, a you know, despite the fact that Doug Baldwin's numbers the last couple of years have looked amazing, and I, I love Doug Baldwin as a player, week to week, he's been very, very volatile, very volatile. Um, and so with Amari Cooper, you know, it's honestly, to me, as simple as the team utilizing him more in the red zone and working him in that area of the field. He had just 13 red zone targets last year. I know that we, you know, people just keep, keep throwing that statistic out on podcasts. I understand uh, he didn't score a red zone uh, touchdown at all last year. All of that is bound to progress a bit. And that's especially true when you factor in age. The dude just turned 23 years old. So, yeah. so while there's that potential that he is a Julio Jones type where he's not much of a red zone receiver for whatever reason, despite the fact that you know he's, he's an athletic specimen, uh, that would hurt him a lot more too than a guy like Julio because Julio obviously is getting 180 plus targets or 150 plus targets a season. Uh, so he's not seeing that type of volume. But I think that making a conscious effort and a team making a conscious effort, which is very, very possible to get the ball to their best playmaker on offense uh, can go a really, really long way for a young wide receiver. So I'm on the side that I am totally cool with drafting Amari Cooper in that range. I think Amari Cooper does have the upside that he could end up being a first round redraft pick next year. Yes, Bobby, you got to love this, man. You got to love this. So I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely an Amari Truther, and uh, I stand by that as well. He's got him in like his top five overall. He's drafting no, no, him before in dynasty. Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> in Dynasty, in Dynasty, I 100% would take Amari Cooper over Ezekiel Elliott. And that's not. I don't think that's even a hot yeah, take. I would too. So, but here's my take on this. So last year, uh, Michael Crabtree scored 56 fantasy points on 23 red zone targets. Okay, that's that was magical. He was actually had the third most red zone points outside of Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams who happened to play with Aaron Rodgers. Now, the previous year, Michael Crabtree scored just 13 fantasy points on 13 targets in the red zone. So Amari Cooper, here's the thing. He finishes a top 12 wide receiver despite being as bad as he was in the red zone last year. It, he was the only wide receiver to finish in the top 15 with fewer than six touchdowns. It just shows you Amari Cooper's floor where it's like, you know, he's 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 also on the natural progression in his career. Third year wide receiver. He put on some weight this offseason. He knows about the red zone struggles. And I think that's why he did 
you know, I've compared him to a young Anquan Bolden. Uh, the kid is just a phenomenal route runner. I think he's top three in the NFL when it comes to running routes. So, you know, does Michael Crabtree sniff top 12 without scoring as many touchdowns as he has? He's actually been one of the least efficient wide receivers in the NFL, Michael Crabtree. So, you know, kind of reversing the trend, regression to the mean, as we call it. Amari Cooper has plenty of room for upside. And as JJ mentioned, I think this year, this time next year, we could be talking about Amari Cooper, the first round fantasy pick. I agree. I think that's a possibility. I think it's more likely we'll be talking about Sammy Watkins in that range. And here's the thing is, yeah, I think Amari Cooper takes a step forward this year where he's finally the top wide receiver on his team. Oh, <laughs> shut up. He's drafted at number 47, and he's been better than Amari Cooper. He has, not been, he has not been better. He's just scored more touchdowns. All right, so it's three to two tags, and this is the last one here. We do have a tiebreaker if it is indeed a tie, uh, but the last player here is Kevin White, and where do you stand here, JJ? What if I don't have a strong take on this one? Is that, <laughs> does that just default to tags winning this? this well, week? no, I mean, because you, uh, you were kind of there for Brandon Marshall, too. Like, it was kind of, uh, you know, an, an even thing, so we'll just call it a tie if you don't have that strong yeah, take. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like with Kevin White, I see, because, like, he, he ranks really high. He had a very, very good production profile in college. Coming out, he was a good prospect. Uh, uh, but but at the same time, I don't think that it matters all that much at this point. You know, this is strictly an injury-related thing. Uh, wide receivers just don't become something after doing nothing in their first two NFL seasons. You know, Cam Meredith, Marquise Lee. Yeah, right, sure, yeah. But but Cam, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you if you want to if you want to consider Marquise Lee a thing, sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. You know, but but like Cam Cam Meredith is coming into form now. The offense itself. You know, we already we we talked about that. You want to associate all your fantasy assets or as many as you can in good offenses. And I'm just not overly optimistic necessarily about the passing attack. I, I you know I, I like what the Bears have a good offensive line. Jordan Howard's great. I love Jordan Howard. But overall, it's not like the situation is is ideal for a wide receiver to begin with. So you know, to me, I'm fine with him as a stash in dynasty, but from a redraft perspective, I just don't know, you know, not only that, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of strong dart throw wide receivers. I feel like this season, uh, in, in redraft. So I, you know, Kevin White is not necessarily one of those dudes, uh, that I'm looking at later. You know, everyone says Cameron Meredith is going to be the number one for the Bears, but people don't seem to realize, you know, Kevin White in the three and a half games that he was healthy, he was the number one ahead of, yeah, I know, he was the number one ahead of Alshon Jeffrey, who's a top 30 overall player. Cameron Meredith's going like 110. They were loving Kevin White, and I don't see why they won't again unless he's playing hurt. Uh, I think, you know, from what I've heard, he's recovered from the injury. Now, the chances that he gets injured again, yeah, it's it's elevated compared to other wide receivers. But we were talking about someone who was getting more than two receptions more per game than Alshon Jeffrey before he got hurt. Well, uh, so Bobby, here's the thing. I so I think I win this argument. I think JJ proved my point here. But here's I, I will give I will I will here, I'll give you this though. So here's my argument for Kevin White. I think that the Bears are going to give him every single possible chance to to take off and live up to the pick that they gave they gave up for him. Because because, you know, we're near the John, the end of the John Fox regime. Ryan Pace is trying to live up to his, you know, his thing. I think he's tied to Trubisky now. But I think, like I said, I think he's going to be given every opportunity. With that being said, the Bears have Cameron Meredith. They signed Kendall Wright. They went out and got Victor Cruz, saying that they're not really comfortable with him as their their top dog there. And that, that you know what I mean? So and, you know, it's really difficult for me because Kevin White, when he came out of school, when my Bears drafted him, it wasn't a pick that I fell in love with because he was considered extremely raw. 
law. You know, they were going to have to teach him the full route tree. He was going to have to learn a lot of those things. There's rumors now due to the lower body injuries that he's not going to return as the same player that they once drafted on top of the fact that he still hasn't learned that full route tree. I don't think that, you know, he's not, he's not developing much chemistry with Mike Glennon because he's still rehabbing apparently over his injuries that he's had the last few years trying to regain that burst. So there's questions all over the place. With that being said, I do own a few best ball shares because as I said, I think the Bears are going to try and give him every possible opportunity to succeed. I just don't know if it happens. So if Kevin White finishes as a top 20 wide receiver, you have to buy me an ice cream cake and watch me eat the entire thing. That's de- <laughs> in celebration. That's a deal. But what if he's not? What, what do I get? You buy me a you, you buy me an Amari Cooper signed helmet. <laughs> that is a big big difference. We'll talk about this later. We'll come out with the uh, the terms on a future show. Sounds good. So we're calling this a tie. I don't know if it exactly a tie. A tie. Get out of here. I mean, I, Aaron Aaron Jones was like Aaron Jones. You know, there were big odds that he was going to choose Jamal Williams, and he went with Aaron Jones. So that, I think, makes up for any difference that there may have been. So here's the tiebreaker question. Okay. Andy Dalton or Blake Bortles? Oh, God, oh. this is easy. And it's Andy Dalton, and it's not close. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, okay. I'm still, like, I, I, I still think there's a possibility that Blake, well, obviously there's a strong possibility that Blake Bortles is still really bad. But on top of that, they they could easily I mean they have a really strong defense and they could very easily be a fairly run dependent offense uh, yep. which is going to hurt Bortles from a fantasy perspective I'm not much into volume uh, at the quarterback position but Bortles not in a as negative game scripts not seeing as much volume I think that's he, of all quarterbacks in the league that probably matters most for him uh, and not then, having a shoulder injury yeah well but like Andy Dalton's <laughs> Andy Dalton's Andy Dalton has proven to be over the last four years he's been a top five quarterback twice essentially. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at what he did two years ago, if you take out the game where he broke his finger, I think it was uh, against the Steelers, take away that game because he only threw five attempts. He was averaging before that game over 20 fantasy points per game. He was basically Drew Brees that season. He was a he was a low key MVP candidate that year. Yep. Um, and and I you know just given all the weapons there, I think you just have to look strictly at upside and ignore the fact that their offensive line might be in shambles this year. Uh, but if you ignore that that downside, I mean, Andy Dalton has a crazy ceiling. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. I love Andy Dalton, but I like Blake Bortles too. Number four, number eight in his first two, I'm sorry, in his second and third year in the league. And here's the difference in ADP. Dalton's 138, Bortles 175. And uh, the reason I brought them up is because ECR has them extremely close. That's expert consensus ranking. So all the experts wedged together. They have Dalton at 125. Bortles at 132. So the experts are quite a bit higher on Bortles. So Bobby not only lost the competition, but he lost the tiebreaker too. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's still kind of a tie. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We'll move on and uh, I'll just continue my losing streak. I lost in Name That Player. I've lost in uh, in mock drafts like three in a row or whatever. So, you know, I'm just a big loser. <laughs> just be sad. I'll just be sad after the show. For those of you who don't know, I'm doing this podcast sick too. So it's just a really sad day for me. I'm, I'm, I'm ruining your dreams today, Bobby. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You'll also have Kevin White. <laughs> I, do, I do have Kevin White and the ice cream cake that's coming from that. Anyways, the, uh, the last segment that we're doing here today is training camp battles. And we don't have a ton of time. So we're going to kind of cruise through this and not, you know, spend a ton of time on each one. But we'll start with the Bengals running backs is there any chance this is not joe mixon's job jj 
I, I think it's Joe Mixon's job. Uh, Jeremy Hill, you know, we, we work with a, a metric on number fire called net expected points. It's just our expected points model. Uh, and I like really digging into the success rate metric that we use for running backs because it's more of a binary look at how often these running backs are giving you positive expected points plays. So it's not skewed by big plays like we see with yards per carry or even our rushing net expected points per rush because it's a very similar uh, way of looking at things as yards per carry is. From a success rate standpoint, Jeremy Hill has gotten worse every single season. Uh, so you have a guy who, you know, we see that with our eyes, too. You have a guy who doesn't look the same as he did his rookie year. Gio Bernard's coming off the ACL. I think I think Joe Mixon is a lock to or, or a, a close to a lock to, to start in that backfield uh, to start the season. The thing that I, I am worried about, you know, I, I think that Joe Mixon has uh, the honest ability to be the number one rookie running back this season uh, in fantasy. Yes. I just I just worry a bit if they do continue to use Jeremy Hill at the goal line, I think that's, what's really holding Mixon back aside from the offensive line stuff that we had already talked about. But I, I do think that this is Mixon's job. 100% agree. Even down to uh, the only thing holding him back is Jeremy Hill. Yeah. Jeremy Hill was, has, despite the, how bad Jeremy Hill has been, he's actually been pretty solid on the goal line. So I won't take right, that away right. from him, but just know that there was outside of playing the Browns last year, there was one game where Jeremy Hill averaged more than 3.9 yards per carry. Ooh. That's it. <laughs> Oh, man, that is so bad. Yeah, his yards after contact was pathetic, too. So um, the offensive line getting worse isn't going to help him any. And uh, Joe Mixon, arguably his best talent is catching the ball out of the backfield, which this team desperately needs with this offensive line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all three of us agree it's pretty surely uh, Joe Mixon. Um, Now, what about the Broncos backup running back situation? I think we all agree that uh, Jamal Charles is not going to take it over from C.J. Anderson like some average Joes are kind of thinking. But what about the backup? I mean, is it going to be Devontae Booker? Are they just going to cut Jamal Charles? I mean, from my perspective, well, first of all, anytime that I think about drafting Jamal Charles, I just look at that picture of his knee and I immediately don't do it. Uh, I just I, I can't get behind Jamal Charles, just given what we've seen over the last couple of years with him, and, and just given the, the the potential prognosis with with his body itself. Um, you know, I, I think Devontae Booker's the backup to C.J. Anderson. It's kind of the way that I'm looking at it. Uh, Devontae Booker's efficiency was atrocious last year, but again, going back to that success rate metric that I mentioned, which again just looks at things more from a binary standpoint. Uh, all Broncos running backs last year were below average within that success rate metric. Um, and, and Devontae Booker was the worst of those guys, but he wasn't that far off from CJ Anderson, which is somewhat of a plus. Uh, if you want to look at things from the perspective of he was a, a first year guy, didn't have the experience that CJ Anderson does. And we know that CJ Anderson has had some injury issues in the past. Uh, but, but to me, I think that uh, Devontae Booker is going to start off the season as a backup. I'm kind of intrigued by D'Angelo Henderson. Uh, he had really good efficiency in college, really good dominator rating in college, pretty good measurables in the back. And again, and he's in a backfield where CJ Anderson can't stay healthy. Devontae Booker might actually just be bad. There's that possibility too. And then Jamal Charles has one knee. So there's there's that potential as well with D'Angelo Henderson. But I think that that's kind of the way the depth chart uh, will shake out. And their offensive line is so bad. This right. is just not a right. good situation. Well, they've improved their offensive line this offseason. I think that they're one of the most improved offensive lines. But here's the thing. I think with Jamal Charles, I think we're going to know right away. I think if he makes the team, he has the backup role. If he doesn't, he doesn't, obviously. But I, I think that they would be comfortable moving forward with D'Angelo Henderson and and Devontae Booker behind C.J. Anderson. And that's why I think Jamal Charles, the contract, it makes a lot of sense because if it turns out he's okay, then that's fine. You know, he's he's a solid, you know, eight to 10 touch running back. But, you know, I'm, I tend to be 
with JJ, and it's not even just one bad knee because JJ somehow yeah, the, right. the, yeah. the story went uh, the story <laughs> yeah. it went under the radar for whatever reason with Jamal Charles is that when he went to go have the his knee cleaned out a second time last year towards the right. end he ended up having both knees scoped out so it's not even one knee with him anymore it's just the one that's really 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 bad so I you know I don't think that Jamal Charles sticks if he if he can't show something on the field if he does stick that means I think that he's in line for you know that seven to ten touches per game route whereas Devontae Booker I'm not convinced that he's a good running back at all right. I think Henderson is the upside play here but at the same time we're not talking about a top 10 scoring offense so how much upside is there really with the backup running back in Denver you know what I mean yep so basically you think Jamal Charles is going to end up starting for the 49ers that's possible <laughs> I mean with all the rumors I wouldn't be shocked at all I mean maybe he'll sell tickets for them I don't know yeah all right uh Aiken or Philip Dorsett as the number three wide receiver for the Colts uh, you know, I, I think that my problem with Philip Dorsett is that he showed us nothing last year with the opportunity to do something. I mean, he played 55% or more of the Colts snaps in 15 games last year. He hit the 90% mark three times, and he ranked higher than 25th in PPR weekly wide receiver scoring zero times last year. I, you know, I partially think that it's because what we already know and that he's kind of a redundant piece in that offense with T.Y. Hilton being there. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think that if I'm choosing between the two guys, I suppose that I'd lean Aiken simply because he showed a bit in the Ravens offense a couple of years ago. And I think that he's just a newer, you know, more interesting piece in that offense. Uh, but honestly, I mean, I'd be shocked if either of them were fantasy relevant without an injury this year, given Agreed. you have Kreef there, you have T.Y. there. And we know that it's an offense like Tag t- talked about earlier with Jack Doyle that likes to utilize their tight ends. Yeah, and they've got Robert Turbin, who I think is going to be uh, a nice asset on third downs. Yeah. I think Marlon Mack, they need to live with the uh, inefficiencies in between the tackles and have him play in the no huddle. I think they'll they'll get more boom out of him. Uh, they're going to need to with that I'm defense. Cool with that. And Malik Hooker is now apparently out um, for a while. I think he's going to start in the pup list, which is just another blow to that defense that's just bad in general. So, um, yeah, I, I think JJ is right in the fact that neither of them are going to be fantasy relevant in season-long leagues. I mean, in best ball, if you want to take your shot, I would suppose it would be Aiken for me just because, as he's mentioned, Dorsett has had his chance as the number three wide receiver in this offense. He's done nothing with it. He, he you know, coming out, the metrics guy has said that Dorsett was so much of a comp to T.Y. Hilton. This offense doesn't need two T.Y. Hiltons. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, Aiken's side, but I won't be drafting either of them in a redraft. Now, this one's probably the most exciting of all of them. For the number two wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> is it Chris Conley or Albert Wilson? <laughs> It's, it's kind of crazy because like you can't find from a from a prospect standpoint, you can't really find many polar opposite players, right? Because you have right. you have Chris Conley yeah. from the athleticism standpoint. I mean, he's a measurables freak. He's like the most talented wide receiver besides Doriel Green. Yeah, right. Like it's crazy how talent like how, how athletic the guy is. And then you have Albert Wilson, who's a production freak. I mean, Albert Wilson's production in college was out of control. So, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is I don't really want. The, even the third option, but this is could be the fourth option mm-hmm. in an Alex Smith led offense, you know. So <laughs> I think I think we should be a little bit real about that. I guess I guess that I would lean Conley only yeah. only because it's 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 not a strong lean, Bobby. It's not that strong of a lean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm trying to find something to hold on to here, guys. No, I, I think that look, like I, I think that I would lean Conley just because there's more ambiguity surrounding Conley. And what's, but what's, what, you know, that being said, last year he had zero red zone touchdowns on 14 targets in the red zone. Like he, he didn't show much last season. It's just that, I, you know, we kind of know what Albert Wilson is. We know that Conley probably does have more upside, you would think. But again, it's just, I, I cannot get less excited about 
this number two receiver spot in Kansas City. I don't think that there's a worse quarterback for Chris Conley in the league than Alex Smith. No, that's very fair. That's very, very fair. Yeah. So I think, I think you know, I talked about this with Travis Kelsey, our last show, and the fact that I think that Chris Conley might be someone you want to buy maybe towards the end of the season because you're going to be able to get him for nothing in Dynasty. And Travis yeah. Kelsey, he's still costing a lot. But you could argue that his ceiling is going to go up once Patrick Mahomes takes over as a quarterback because... You know, if we're going to compare this to any guy in the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes, I'd say it was probably Jay Cutler and the fact that he's willing to, he's got a, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's mobile enough to buy time for his receivers to get downfield, you know? So I think that Conley and Kelsey, they're upside down. Like when, once Mahomes takes over, it actually could be higher. That's a great point. That's a really good point. What if Mahomes was the starting quarterback right now? Would you draft Conley around like 120 tags? No, I would just draft Travis Kelsey in like the start of the third round. Okay. Let's let's move on to uh, some more running back situations. The New England Patriots, pretty much everyone agrees that Mike Gillisley is going to be the starter, but there's a few people here and there that think it might be Rex Burkhead. Where do you stand, JJ? I'm on I'm on Team Gillisley. Uh, you know, I, I understand that where he was at with Buffalo was one of the most ideal situations you can find from an efficiency standpoint. You're a backup running back. So you're going to see softer defenses. You're going to be fresh whenever you get on the field. But on top of that, they have a great offensive line with a mobile quarterback. So I understand why Mike Gillisley would come out looking really nice over the last couple of years in that role. But with that being said, he didn't come out just looking nice. Like Mike Gillisley the last two years like was breaking databases with his efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that's kind of why I'm intrigued by him in that offense. And then on top of that, I mean, we know that the offense itself uh, is going to score a ton of points. And, and we've seen... You know, in anything New England related in the backfield, we have to look at what beat reporters are saying to a deg- or to probably to a stronger degree than other backfields only because uh, we know that that coaching staff is going to play games and that we, we haven't seen as much consistency with how they give their their running backs touches. So literally since Mike Gillisley went to New England, every beat reporter or the majority of them, every report that's come out has talked about Mike Gillisley filling in that LeGarrette Blunt role. We know that volume drives running backs in fantasy football. I just, you know, I, I think Gillisley is a better player than Rex Burkhead. I think that he's more versatile than Rex Burkhead is too. He can play in shotgun. Um, you know, I, I think that he's just the, the, the guy that you want to own. There's a reason that his average draft position is much higher than, than Burkhead's is. And I also... And going up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I also want to add that I think that, like, it's very easy to say, oh, I'll just take the cheaper of the two guys in the backfield. You know, I I, I think that's generally, though, it's... It, it, I've, I've used that excuse before, too. But I also think that that's sometimes a cop-out because in the case of a guy like Mike Gillisley, we know the upside is there. Of course, you have to worry a bit about James White because he's still going to be the receiving back in that backfield. But we know the upside is there to score a ton of touchdowns without LeGarrette Blunt. Um, so overall, you know, as a result of that, I'm fine. You know, I, I'm, I would be totally cool with Mike Gillisley as going into the season as my RB2 just because of that upside. Me too. For sure. Yeah, Patriots had 28 carries within the five last year, and Gillisley's been the most efficient on the goal line of any running back in the past two years. So I'm really excited about his upside. But that's the thing is like the people that are dismissing Gillisley's production because he was a backup and because he played on the uh, Bills offensive line that produced so many yards before contact. Those are the same people that are talking about Rex Burkhead. The reason they're they're basing their argument on one week 17 game against the Baltimore Ravens, a game that didn't even matter against a backup defense. So I'm I'm with you. Uh, Mike Gillisley is someone who has moved up my... He's a good runner though. I I like Burkhead, man. He looks so good on I'm not saying... But he could be the next Brandon Bolden where it's like he plays special teams too and he does does it very well. So, I mean, again, this is Bill Belichick's backfield, but if, if we're going off anything, he, Mike Gillisley fills the role for LeGarrette Blunt, and he does it better than LeGarrette Blunt. So I'm not saying he's going to score 18 touchdowns, but if you told me at the end of the, if, if you're like trying to project the end of the season, and if you said, Mike, Mike 
miraculously scored 15 touchdowns this year. Is that is that BS? And I'd say, no, I think it's a realistic possibility. Yeah, yep, I agree. All right, Jets running backs. This one does not matter really at all to me. I'm not drafting either of them. Uh, Powell or Forte or some kind of split. Um, you know, so according to number fire metrics last year, below Powell, uh, from him versus what his teammates did and, and how they performed, there were uh, only Ty Montgomery had a larger discrepancy, and that's mostly because James Starks is trash. Um, so uh, Powell last year, he was fourth in efficiency and fifth in success rate, while Matt Forte was 35th in efficiency and 41st in those two categories uh, or, or in success rate. Um, so, you know, Forte is going to be 31 years old. He'll be 32 in December. Bilal Powell is going to be 29 in October, but he's carried the ball about 1,700 fewer times than Matt Forte has <laughs> wow. at the NFL level. <laughs> You know, I, I still think, though, if you look back at Powell's uh, overall profile and, and what he's done, even dating back to when he was in Louisville, he's never been necessarily an every down back. Uh, but at the same time, we saw last season they used him all the time in negative game scripts, and they're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts uh, because that team is, is garbage. Um, so I'm sorry, Jets fans. Uh, but you know, I, I, I do think <laughs> they know it. I do think that there's going to be, you know, there will be somewhat of a two headed monster. I, I lean, I, I lean Powell, but then you look at his ADP and you realize this team's not going to score many touchdowns. You know, I don't, I don't really want to associate my fantasy team with the jets that much. Uh, and, yeah. and so as a result of that, I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm, I'm just fading both of them. Now, JJ, what's your, so if you're on the board and you have to choose between someone like Bilal Powell and Amir Abdullah, where do you stand? See, I don't like, I don't like Abdullah that much either. So it's kind of, you know, like I, I can make the case for, for Powell in that, in that instance, just because, you know, like Ab- Abdullah, not going to be the goal linebacker, might not be the goal linebacker. Obviously, Theo Riddick is there too. So Abdullah is kind of in that no man's land that I hate drafting um, mm-hmm. at the running back position because he's not getting those high yeah. leverage touches, right? And, and Powell is kind of in that same situation, but he just has more upside because the competition uh, isn't necessarily there. So, you know, I, I can make a case for either guy, but I think both of those guys, I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't really want him. He's going to reach for Chris Conley there. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, Eagles running backs. A lot of people are saying Ryan Matthews is probably going to be cut. I think that's true. Uh, Blunt, as we know, is just not a very good running back. They do have a pretty good offensive line, but he's going to do nothing on the goal line like he was able to do with the Patriots if he is the starter. But is he going to be the starter, JJ? Yeah, I think he's going to be the starter. But I'll be honest, I don't think there's been a backfield that I've thought about less this offseason than the Mm. Eagles backfield. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm just not optimistic about the offense in general because of of Carson Wentz. And and it's it's a a fairly conservative offense in general. I know that they grabbed Alshon, so hopefully they can get the ball downfield a little bit better. Um, But. As a, as a whole, I'm just not overly optimistic about this Eagles offense. Uh, and, and I think that we know exactly what roles these running backs play. And it, it's kind of interesting because obviously they got Pumphrey in the, in the draft. So you have someone who's basically a Darren Sproles type if something were to happen to Sproles. But we know that Sproles is going to be the receiving back out of that backfield. We know LeGarrette Blunt is not going to be that guy. And he's going to be more of that touchdown dependent player like he was last season with New England. The difference is obviously that he's not playing in a great offense with Tom Brady and he's playing in a, in a fairly mediocre one with Carson Wentz. So it's an offense that I'm not really investing in, uh, in general, that includes the, the passing attack. Uh, Cause I think the targets are going to be dispersed a little bit more than, than maybe others do. You know, Alshon is fine, I guess, but um, you know, it's just not a backfield that I really want to put a lot of stock in. You know, I was actually more impressed with Wendell Smallwood as well. 
Um, I think he's going to find his way into some touches. I, I'm not saying he's going to be fantasy relevant or anything, but I think he does take away from Blunt. I think it's cute that we've heard uh, over the last couple of weeks that Lagarde Blunt can catch passes better than people think. Um, yeah, that happens that, that, all the time. That's just that's a, that's adorable. <laughs> um, just know that Lagarde Blunt last year had 72 red zone carries. Nobody, no other running back had more than 59. Um, on, on top of that, so Ryan Matthews is a better all around running back than Lagarde Blunt. I don't think there's a disputing that. So Doug Peterson, known for a run heavy offense, this and that. Do you know that Ryan Matthews, before he was even hurt last year, he totaled ten or more carries in just four of or six of their first ten games. Like mm-hmm. he, so he was. If people remember, they were cutting Ryan Matthews, not knowing when to start him early in the year because they just refused to give him all the carries that people wanted. And on top of that, Legarrette Blunt has openly said in the media, "I do not know what my role is on this team." <laughs> so when, when a running back's telling you that, it's it's pretty obvious that he is not going to be the the bell cow running back, the workhorse that's getting twenty plus touches per game. I don't think Legarrette Blunt is worth twenty touches per game. He's aging. He's yeah. only done well on this page and on the Patriots offense. Guys, seriously, stop drafting LeGarrette Blunt as a top 25 running back. I'm with you. All right, we've got two more here for you, JJ. Uh, Redskins running back situation. This one is a, is a little testy. Is it Robert Kelly or some say P. Ryan? Yeah, so I actually ranted about this a bit on my podcast that, that went out earlier today. I, I, I you know, it, it depends on where you're looking at from an ADP perspective. I should start out with that. If there's a large, large discrepancy between Samaj P. Ryan and Rob Kelly, or, or you know that going into the draft where Rob Kelly's like an 11th rounder and P. Ryan's like a sixth rounder, then I can understand, I guess, the, the notion to go after uh, Kelly instead of P. Ryan. But if you look at what Rob Kelly did last year, he saw double-digit targets in eight of his last nine games. In his final six games, though, he averaged 3.3 yards per carry. Now, that could just be random variance, right? But at the same time, in at Tulane, where he wasn't even the starting running back his final season, he actually was outtouched by two other running backs who no one's <laughs> ever heard of, he, he never saw a big market share at Tulane. He's never carried the ball a significant amount. And, and I, had this, I had this line that I used, and I'll just reiterate it because I think that it captures the way that I feel about the, the situation is, you know, I don't love... Samaj P. Ryan as a prospect per se, but you know, I'm going to be wrong about guys. You're going to be wrong about guys. And the probability of me being wrong about a player like Samaj P. Ryan is going to be a lot greater than the probability of me being wrong about a player like Rob Kelly, because Samaj P. Ryan is objectively a better prospect than Rob Kelly is, you know? So, so I do think that of course, at the end, this comes down to what Washington wants to do in that backfield, who they feel most comfortable with. They showed last year, you know, Matt Jones, the reason he lost his job was because of the fumbling issues that he had. Matt Jones actually wasn't performing that poorly. He just couldn't hold on to the ball. He, he arguably, I would strongly argue that he played better than Rob Kelly did. Um, so so I, I think Washington does maybe favor certain things that you or I might not favor as much. But again, you know, we kind of know what Rob Kelly's upside looks like, and it's completely 100 million percent volume dependent I would rather just go with the ambiguity of the rookie prospect that you know we're going to be wrong so who knows what happens yep I've ran it on this podcast before that Rob Kelly is overrated by people that look at broken tackles metrics because yes. you know, he's the type of running back that looks for contact, that he's not elusive enough to where he doesn't have to, to he has to break those tackles nonstop. He's just not a very good running back. I don't want to go yeah. on, on too long of a rant here, but Rob Kelly's not so good, and that's why they drafted Samaje P. Ryan where they did. I think P. Ryan's a better yeah. receiver than he showed in college. I don't think he needed to be with Joe Mixon there. Uh, Chris Thompson there is going to be catching the ball, so yeah, I'm with JJ here. I don't, I don't need to go on a rant, but Samaje P. Ryan is the back who's going to end up with the starting job. Maybe not the first week, but, you know, even maybe two, three weeks in. 
All right, last training camp battle here. Jaquiz Rogers or Charles Sims is going to start the three games when Doug Martin's gone? I, to me, I think it's easily Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, in five games in, in which he saw a, a large market share in that offense last year, he saw 15 or more carries in those five games. He tallied uh, a 4.32 yards per carry average. Not bad, 462 yards. But he also finished as a top 18 fantasy running back in four of those five contests. I think we all remember that awesome game where he carried the ball like 30 times in the first half against yes. Carolina. <laughs> but uh, among uh, the 69 nice running backs with 50 or more attempts a season ago uh rogers ranked 11th in success rate so i'm just going back to that success rate metric that i referenced earlier doug martin was 58th peyton barber was 59th and charles sims was 65th within that metric so uh he was playing hurt yeah sure I just, it, it, <laughs> he was really good it's, 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 he was really good in 2015 it's fair. no charles sims was really really good in 2015 I, I i think though that what charles sims brings to the table is his receiving ability more than anything else i think mm, yeah. i think they they showed a lot of confidence in jaquiz rogers and i actually think that jaquiz rogers is one of the more undervalued players in fantasy football right now only because only because Doug Martin, obviously there's a lot of hype coming out right now that Doug Martin's, you know, looks like a different back. He's not going to be the 2016 version of himself, but there's still that, that downside that he could be the 2016 of version of himself. And if that's the case, I think that Jaquiz Rogers could actually be a decent, reliable RB2 in fantasy if things kind of go his way. But at the same time, you know, regardless, I think that he's still a decent draft pick just because you're getting those three games out of him while Doug Martin is out. Would you rather have him or Darren McFadden right now? I'd go with Jaquiz Rogers right now, okay. right now. I would go with Jaquiz Rogers because the, the other thing with, with DMC, not to like talk your ear off about it, but like, I, I feel like if there's a, a, a long suspension for Zeke, they end up going after a running back who then would just supplant Darren McFadden. Potent, that, that's, that's, that's the potential. Whereas if it's point. a shorter suspension, two games, one game, whatever, sure. DMC is going to be there. Maybe he gets a couple usable weeks, but then I still think Jaquiz Rogers just has just as much upside given the three games that Doug Martin's out. Charles Sims, I think, is going to have the same role with Jaquiz Rogers and with Doug Martin. I think that he's going to be yeah. the, the third down back where he's going to have his, you know, six to ten touches per week. And that's that. I don't think anything changes with Doug Martin out with Charles Sims. Um, just know that their first three games are against the Bengals, the Jaguars and then the Browns the third week. So um, if anything, you want to start them against the Browns like that's pretty much a, a lock. But I mean, I don't, I'm not really excited about either, but I, I do understand the case for drafting Jaquiz Rogers with how late he's going. He's free mm -hmm. and you're going to get three starting running back performances. Right. And you mentioned how many touches he was getting per week. So yeah, I'm definitely with, I'm with Jaquiz Rogers in the side of the argument. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for today's show. JJ, we really appreciate you coming on, man. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for, you know, settling the tie here between Bobby and I. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, and for those of you guys listening at home, remember we're doing three episodes per week now. We've got two more coming later this week. Tags is going to be back from vacation. Hopefully, I'll be feeling better, so I'm going to break my losing streak at one point or another. Please remember to support the sponsor of today's show, pristineauction.com and rtsports.com. Remember, we've got the sign Antonio Brown jersey giveaway that ends this Sunday, so get those entries submitted. For Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.